as I said earlier, we're going to be today discussing integration in adulthood. We're actually going to start with adulthood because we're going to spend the vast majority of our time discussing integration. So I'm going to give you adulthood in two minutes, and then we're going to move on. So I've got a few verses that really encapsulate adulthood from this perspective. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And a chapter later, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Adulthood is essentially about growing up and taking ownership of our lives. It means growing in our confidence of who God has made us to be, who we are as his sons and daughters, the way he has uniquely wired you and gifted you, and how to be obedient to the tasks and the missions and the people that he has given you influence on. It's about taking, like we say a lot, our own healing and growth seriously, while at the same time showing respect, dignity, and love to others. That's adulthood. So if you or a loved one constantly struggles in dating relationships, work performance, responsibility, or being driven in life, most likely there is an adulthood issue there that needs to be addressed in order for true growth to take place. So that's adulthood in a nutshell. The rest of our time is going to be on integration because I think this one is talked about uh, least and probably misunderstood the most. So before we dive in, though, I want to acknowledge that I am well aware that there are many people in this room who have suffered deep loss and severe heartache. Currently or in the past, from the death of loved ones, abuse, addiction, betrayal, and everything in between. I'm aware of many, not all, but I'm aware of many of the wounds that we carry, okay? But I also know that we play a role as the body of Christ in offering support and comfort to those of us who are hurting, right? So I know that what we're going to be talking about will not be easy for some of us to process, but God knows what you've been through. I want to communicate that. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. He sees you. His heart towards you is nothing but compassion. Some of you are already in tears right now. His heart towards you is full of compassion. He wants to see you healed, and he wants to see you flourish. So, integration. Here's how my program, the Townsend Institute, defines integration. It is the ability to experience loss, negative realities, and maintain a loved sense of self. John Townsend also went on to say, integration means there are two kinds of realities in this life. There are the positive realities, such as our strengths, good people, good experiences, and having a great mission in life. There's also negative realities, as we know, like my own brokenness, my own failure, my own losses, my own pains, how other people let me down how I have let other people down. Integration means that I can live quite well with the positives 
and I can embrace the negatives at the same time. That is integration. Perhaps you tend to crumble when pain and heartache come your way, maybe to the point to where you're like the prophet Elijah in this extreme example from 1 Kings 19. He says, uh, says he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah could not take the pain anymore, and I know some of us have been there. He wanted God to take his life so that he could be alleviated from his suffering. This is unhealthy integration, obviously. There is a time and a place for crying out to God. The, the lament psalms are full of those examples, asking God, where are you? But some of us, like Elijah, we want to throw in the towel a little too easily when we encounter suffering because our tendency is to fall in to despair, which is unhealthy integration. And perhaps no Bible character is more known for suffering than Job. So we're going to read a little bit, of, yeah, about Job's life. So turn with me to Job chapter 2. Should be page 718 if you're using a pew Bible. Job 2, verses 7 through 10. It says, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you were talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God? And not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So Job's wife sees him physically suffering. Sores all over his body, right? Nasty bumps and marks all over his body. And says, why are you still trying to be a good man? Curse God and die, dude. Just get it over with. You are a mess. And he said to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? How can we accept the good things of life, but be unwilling to accept the difficulties of life? In other words, who do we think we are that we should be able to bypass suffering? The question is not, why do bad things happen to us? The question is, why does any good thing happen to us? That's the question we should be asking. Why does any good thing happen to any of us? In our own flesh, we deserve nothing. It is because of the love of God that we experience any type of goodness in this life. Apart from his grace, we are prideful, self-centered creatures with nothing but our best interest in mind. It's God in his goodness that saves us from ourselves so that we can view our lives as one to give away for the sake and for the benefit of others. We're going to spend a little bit of time now looking at what integration looked like specifically in Jesus' life. 
Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. This should be page 1530 if you're using a pew Bible. This is Jesus um, responding to the death of his friend Lazarus. John 11, starting in verse uh, 32, 32 through 36. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, there's a lot going on here in this passage, and we can't dissect it all. But first is that when Jesus saw his friends weeping, it says that he was greatly troubled in his spirit, and he was moved, and probably troubled because of the unbelief in their hearts. He knew that they, would, they were probably doubting that he could lay, raise Lazarus from the dead. But he was still deeply moved. And then Jesus wept. Shortest passage in the Bible. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how much he loved his friend Lazarus. He is weeping over this situation. This is integration. Jesus grieved his pain. He grieved his losses. And he was not afraid to grieve the losses of others. He allowed himself to feel all the sadness and the heartache of life while still keeping his eyes set on the Father. Check out what N.T. Wright had to say about this short text here. It's kind of long, sorry. John is telling us that when we look at Jesus, not least when we look at Jesus in tears, we are seeing not just a flesh and blood human being, but the word made flesh, the word through whom the worlds were made, weeps like a baby at the grave of his friend. Only when we stop and ponder this will we understand the full mystery of John's gospel. Only when we put away our high and dry pictures of who God is and replace them with pictures in which the word of God can cry with the world's crying will we discover what the word God really means. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to take this a step further. Uh, this should be page 1708, I believe. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8. This is good stuff. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So Jesus prayed to his father with fervent cries and tears because he was the one who could save him from death. 
And although he endured death, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. This, again, is healthy integration. This is Jesus accepting his reality, even though it was overwhelmingly painful and excruciating to even think about what was awaiting him. He grieved his losses that he would experience, and he learned obedience from his suffering. He lived a fully integrated life. He could experience the joys of friendship, laughter, and purpose, while also at the same time feeling his pain, grieving his losses, and trusting that the Father was still in control, even when everything seemed out of control. Integration. And I want to make things practical for us here to give you guys some examples of unhealthy integration. So here are a few, maybe, maybe one of these hit home. Expecting perfection of ourselves or others is unhealthy integration. It will always lead to disappointment and hurt because none of us are God. Shocking, I know. If we cannot accept other people will fail us, at some point we will be tempted to trust no one and live in isolation. If you cannot accept failure in your work or in your hobbies and pursuits, you'll always play it safe and never allow God to grow you, excuse me, or move you into new territory. If you won't invite people into your home unless your house is perfect, you will miss numerous opportunities to experience intimacy and connection with others. If we cannot accept the good and the bad of life, we are not really living. We're living in the illusion that life should always work out for us, and God never promised us that. In fact, he promised us the opposite. Look what Jesus said in John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now here's some food for thought. Leave that up there for a second, Tyler. Your natural response to this passage is likely a reflection of how you handle integration in your life. Is this passage more so defeating for you? Because Jesus says, you will have trouble in this life. Mark it. Trust me. Or does your focus tend to be more on the empowering words of Jesus? Hey, take heart. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And really, the, the question we're asking in all of this integration is, when life gets hard, how do you respond? When life gets difficult, how do you respond? Let's look at some of the common ways that we respond. We'll start with the unhealthy. This slide and the next are both from Dr. John Townsend as well. So this is a list of more of the common coping styles of unhealthy integration. Feel free to take a photo of those if you want. So some of us turn to denial. Some of us turn to minimizing. Some of us work harder. We just grind it out. Stay busy. Don't think about the pain. Some of us turn to self-judgment and self-shaming. Others of us, we point the finger at others. We blame other people. Entitlement is a big one. Some of us look to just performing and seeking perfection. 
thinking that'll compensate for the pain. Some of us turn to despair, hopelessness, and giving up. And I am aware that many of us came by poor integration just honestly. A lot of us were not modeled this well, right, in our lives. Very few of us, if I had to guess, had parents or siblings that modeled healthy integration. So there's grace for that. God knows your story. He is not judging you. He's not judging me. He's not condemning us at all. His heart is to just see us healed and made whole. So for me personally, you can, yeah, you can keep that up there. The two, um, my two typical responses when life would get hard is the self-shaming. So beating myself up, thinking if I had just done more, did a better job, whatever, performed at a higher level, I wouldn't be in this situation that's difficult or painful. But my more common one was falling into despair and hopelessness. And really up until the last five years or so, I was fragile. I would have been the worst military soldier the United States could ever draft. I mean, soft, weakling, wiener, whatever you want to call. That's a joke for some of my friends here. Matt, I see you, Matt. The slightest discomfort would make me crumble. But now I have grace for myself because I know that responding that way was rooted in attachment issues. Let me explain. Because a lot of my childhood was marked by feeling as though I had to perform to get accepted, I got really good, as some of you have, at putting on a mask, right? And showing up and being the chameleon however I needed to perform in whatever pockets of people I was with. Do anything to get them to like me and approve of me and validate me. The idea of expressing my needs, whew, I thought that would show my weakness. People would view me as needy. I can't do any of that stuff. I thought they'd want to run from me. And so because I did not express my needs and express my hurts, I did not have the emotional and the relational support to lift me up when life got hard. And so I would crumble. Because I did not allow that support to be there, I would default to despair. And what helped me immensely on my journey was a conversation several years ago with Pastor Bob at Pernera. And he was aware of my fragility and being so soft. Um, and he told me, he goes, I, I want you to read 2 Corinthians 4 right there on the spot. And it's the passage, if you're not familiar, it's the passage where the Apostle Paul says a few different times, we do not lose heart. Though we suffer constantly, we do not lose heart. And he goes on this list of rambling all the crazy things he went through. Now, I remember, you know, if, if Paul, who experienced a thousand times more suffering than I probably ever will in my life, the beatings and the, you know, being left for dead, if he could say those words... And perhaps despair did not have to define my life when life got difficult. And so that day, God planted a seed in me that he is for me, he is with me, and he has placed, not everyone, but he has placed some trusted people in my life who are also with me 
and for me in my pain. So a big part of me moving towards healthy integration was surrounding myself by people who understood and practiced healthy integration. When we surround ourselves constantly with doom and gloomers, guess what? We will stay doom and gloomers. We got to see people, some of you are nodding your head. We've got to see this modeled well and see that there is an alternative way to respond to hardship, such as perseverance, hope, and finding meaning in the midst of our suffering. So that's me. I want to hear from you guys. Let's leave that, leave that up there. So if you struggle with healthy integration, which was basically every hand, which of these coping styles do you tend to identify with the most when life gets difficult? And why do you think that's the case? So which of these relate to you the most and why? The floor is open, so you're speaking for yourself. What do you think? Nick, yes. Okay. Okay, he minimizes, kind of rooted in attachment issues, avoiding feelings, yeah? Avoiding hardship, good. Who else? Yes, great. Okay, so you turn to hopelessness, despair, I'm just going to give up, there's no way this can work out, okay? What else? Whoa, somebody way back there. What's that? Sure, blaming others. Surely, surely I couldn't have done anything that contributed to this difficult situation. That's right. It's always other people's fault. Yeah. I had class this past week and with Dr. Townsend. I actually got to have a one-on-one -on -one talk with him, and it was on narcissism. So, boy, blaming was blot up a ton. Very interesting. Anyone else before we move on? Yes, Brad. Yeah, yeah, blame in the context of marriage. Ooh, it's a lot easier to point the finger than look in the mirror. Yep, was there someone else? Okay. Yep, yep, work harder, stay busy. If you do that, you don't have to think about it. But guess what, it doesn't go away. Right? If you didn't know that, now you do. That hurt and pain, it doesn't go away. It will stay there and it will come out at some point. It's better to do it in a healthy way than have an explosion, right? Another thing I want us to remember, guys. Oh, no, I'm skipping ahead. My bad. Sorry. Um, I would be, yeah, we got to hit on this. I would be a fool to not remind you guys. We got to keep this fresh that we have an enemy who is lurking, right? Seeking to devour us, 1 Peter 4.12, this, this passage is awesome. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through as if something strange were happening to you. Satan, our enemy, 
Remember this, he is not worried about unbelievers, okay? Someone that has not staked their life to Christ, he's got them right where he wants them. Lost and blind, he is content to let them be. But a follower of Christ who is pursuing healing and growth, he's not going to sit back and let that happen without putting up a fight. You will be met with resistance. He will use every weapon at his disposal, baited towards your personality and your tendencies that he has studied throughout your life. He will do anything in his power to make you lose heart, to make you isolate from others, and to convince you to live a life of passivity. If he can do that, he has won. But we serve a savior who has overcome the world, right? John 16, 33. And nothing he can use, no weapon against us, can prosper if we cling to the truth of who our Savior is and who we are. Let's take a minute now, go to that next slide. We're going to look at what healthy integration looks like. So when life gets hard, here are some examples of what it looks like to respond in a way that leads to growth. This is not exhaustive, but it hits on quite a few of the big ones ways that we could respond to life's troubles in a much healthier manner for our growth and development. That first one cannot be emphasized more, grieving. It's, it, it's a lost art in our society. Grieving in healthy ways, accepting what is as Jesus did, forgiving, being forgiven. Running to relationships and connection rather than diving into work or performance as a distraction containing and holding the pain and losses of others, learning lessons as Jesus did. He learned obedience from what he suffered and adapting to the new reality. And guys, another thing I, I want to keep fresh for us is that perception is really critical into this area of suffering because what feels like suffering to one person might not feel like suffering to another person, right? Right? based on our experiences, based on our personality. So we've got to ask ourselves, in light of eternity, is this really suffering? Many of the things, not all, but many of the things that we view as suffering, they're really not suffering, guys, for real. They're just discomfort that's really difficult for us, people in a society that worships comfort and worships having a pain-free life. It's not really suffering. Not everything. So that's a really great question to have in your back pocket. When crap hits the fan, ask, is this really suffering in light of eternity? And I want to end my part today by sharing a quote from Tim Keller. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. What fortifies us from any difficulty in this life is allowing ourselves to be known and loved by both God and others. 
as we've been talking about, those trusted people. If we do not allow ourselves to be truly known, which requires vulnerability, we will not respond well to life's difficulties. We will isolate. Some of us will lose heart. We'll pursue perfection and performance. We'll live with the victim mentality. Fill in the blank. Allowing ourselves to be known and loved is the key to living a life of healthy integration to where we can persevere with faith, hope, and courage, regardless of what our circumstances might be. And as I've done with every sermon up to this point, I'm going to invite one of the men from my Avengers group up because <laughs> we're such warriors. Um, it's the group I started last fall to test this material out on. I love bringing up my guinea pigs and letting them share. So my good friend Justin May is going to come up now, and he's going to share a few minutes about what he's learning in regards to integration in his life. So let's give Jay May a warm welcome. Okay, um, first off, Amos gave me a strict five-minute timer, <laughs> or else I'm going to be cast out in stone, so like I have to be in my notes here, or else I'll go over time for sure. Um, so yeah, like Amos said, um, we've been talking about this stuff in our group, and this really struck home with me, this integration model, um, because um, I just started to notice some things in life that I didn't really know how to understand. Um, one of them being that um, I realized I don't take compliments really well. Like when people tell me that I did a good job at something or encouraged me in some way, it felt like death. I was like, ugh, like get that away from me. And, I, and it weirded me out. I'm like, even like my wife would say something and I'm like, Psh, like get that out of here. And I'm like, that's, she should be the only one that could tell me something that I like accept and believe. And I was having a hard time dealing with that. So I reached out to um, my counselor that I had been seeing for a while. I was like, hey, I think we should probably start meeting back up again um, because there's some things that I'm working through. Um, but there's this one example <clears throat> where um, it really kind of, the light kind of turned on for me was when the very last time that I preached up here, um, after I was done, I got a bunch of messages and texts from you all saying that that was probably one of the best sermons that I ever did. Um, Amos was one of those people. And immediately as I'm reading his text, this voice comes in and is like, dude, if, if Amos really knew like that you did not prepare the way that you should have, he wouldn't be saying those things. Like, he just doesn't know, like, the crap that you're dealing with. He's just trying to be, he's trying to put on a nice face, be a good friend, encourage you, even though he really knows that you are not good enough. Like, you'll never be good enough to encourage anybody other than yourself because you yourself aren't worth anything. Um, and so those things were like, yeah, I should probably go start seeing someone. Um, that's not healthy <laughs> at all. Um, but during those times of meeting with my counselor, I was learning a lot. Like, this has been really revolutionary for me. Um, I was realizing that the reason I couldn't accept compliments from people was because I was still, it was, I was having a hard time wrapping my, my mind around good things right alongside the sin in my life. Like, to me, those, those two didn't make sense. Like, how can I be this good person that someone's saying, like, these good things and accept them while I know my heart? And I know the dark things that I have to deal with at home. And so when Amos would tell me, hey, that was a great message, in my head I'm like, but you don't see, like you didn't see all the other things that I didn't do well, right? So it's this performance-based thing. Um, and that's just not a really healthy way to live, honestly, because um, ultimately it shows us that me, I'll talk for myself, that um, I don't really believe what the gospel has to say 
about me. I have to say, like, no, I have to perform to be good enough for God. When God says, no, it was in the midst of your crap. It was while you were still sinning that I died for you. Not only that, but now I've given you my righteousness, my perfection. So, yeah, you're going to fail. You're going to screw up. But your father sees me, not you and your failures. And that was just massive for me. Um, and so, let's see. Let's see where I'm at here. Um, so, yeah, the, the imposter syndrome was really real um, that I've been trying to deal with and, and learn and grow and um, kind of get rid of. But um, just wanted to encourage you guys. I know I'm not the only one that deals with these self-deprecating, you know, beating yourself up type of voices. Um, just know that you're not alone. And if for some reason, any of you want to talk to me about it, then I'll be, I would love to, you know, sit with you and, and chat. But it has to come back to the gospel. It has to, that's been the thing that I'm, I'm learning to fight this battle is preach the gospel to myself every day. You are loved. You are the aroma of Christ. You are a saint. Not this other old man that was put to death on the cross. That, that man is gone. You are new. Um, and you don't have to be judged by your performance anymore because, first of all, you're not going to be good enough to, to perform perfectly because you're not Christ, right? So, um, yeah, that's it. I think I stayed under five minutes there. I hope. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. Great job. Well, guys, as we close today, I want to, as we've done the past couple sermons, I want to leave you guys with some potential next steps. We can go ahead and put that slide up if we have it. So if this is a struggle, an area of struggle for you, healthy integration, consider one of these steps. This is by no means mandatory, but I would encourage you maybe take a photo of this and talk with a loved one and pray and consider what God might be asking you to do to move towards living a life of healthy integration as opposed to some of the other examples of those negative coping styles that we looked at. And guys, all of the things kind of wrapping up that we've been looking at the past month, attachment, separation, integration, and adulthood, these are critical to how we live out our faith, okay? We cannot just think, hey man, I'm a Bible scholar, like I must be healthy. Absolutely not, okay? Of course, that is important. But we got to look at faith as kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin, if you will. On one side is our pursuit of Christ and the spiritual disciplines. Studying scripture, memorizing scripture, prayer, corporate worship, tithing, all of those things are critical. Absolutely. But on the other side is everything we've been talking about. It's entrusting ourselves to others through vulnerability, attachment. It's learning to set boundaries with others and accept others' boundaries, separation. It's learning to integrate in healthy ways when life gets hard. It's learning to take responsibility and ownership of our lives, adulthood. All of these things must be happening together if we're really going to grow and flourish in the way that God intended us to be. Disregarding any of them is going to greatly hinder our growth and our development. And so as we come to the communion table here in a minute, we get to remember and celebrate that Jesus lived a life of attachment, separation, integration, and adulthood. We've worked through scripture looking at different examples of what he modeled for us. He's the perfect example of what it means to be fully human and fully alive. He's the living definition of flourishing.
So let's take some time today and praise him for his heart towards us, his sacrifice, and his compassion. Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and then the ushers will, after a little bit of silence, dismiss you by row. You can come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then we have gluten-free options if you need that as well.